Welcome to My on Mondays, an explorative approach to the possessive my through narratives, art, and sound. Each Monday brings a new creation and unique perspective. My on Mondays is brought to you by Ming Studios, a contemporary art space and international artist residency program dedicated to the exhibition, experience, and exploration of arts and culture. Along with exhibiting artists from around the world, Ming also serves the community by hosting innovative programs including performances, workshops, screenings, readings, artist talks, and other cultural activities. For more information or if you'd like to participate in My on Mondays, you can visit our website at mingstudios.org. Hello and welcome to the 95th episode of My on Mondays. Today our featured artist is Matt Bunk, an Idaho artist who blends folk Americana roots with Kabbalistic mysticism. His work is structured around loops, both of language and ambient sound. As a poet, Matt's work roams from page to stage, where he often performs poetry alongside devised theater or music. His other projects include the band All Around Cowboy, the Found Sound Cassette Collective, The Living Room Orchestra, and the essay and poetry podcast Sage Country Fragments. In line at the grocery store, I consider, could the man see his rough hands, yellow teeth, who bags my apples, grapes, figs, olives, dates, pomegranates, barley bread, be a Lamed Vavnik, concealed messiah of the ordinary? To be righteous, to be spider silk strong, camas rooted, cattail charitable, salmon faithful in returning, to see the inside of a whale and think of a synagogue. Reluctant prophets are still righteous, even half-drowned. I'm watching the red fish disappear, year by year. I am watching the cheat grass erase everything. I am watching pica recede north, 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 away from the unhonored masses. And where are the righteous now? The bank clerk, shining pink cheeks, Pregnant belly, another customer in the record store, black tattoos flowing up their arms, a child lunchbox in hand waiting at the bus stop, old man at the gas pump. The Zadikim Nisarim, the Lamed Vavniks, are by definition concealed, Nisarim, but I can't stop myself from looking. I'm given to fits of religiosity, seeing the mercury rise year after year, I search for the stars. Midrash tells us, just as the stars are sometimes revealed and sometimes hidden, so too with righteous people, and just as there are innumerable clusters of stars, so too there are innumerable clusters of righteous people. My manager sees the world through true crime shows, every stranger a murderer, but I think you have to interpret the world charitably to believe every soul is holiest holy. That's Zadikah to me, that's righteousness. The legend goes like this. In the world, which is by and large unrighteous, there are 36 righteous souls to redeem every generation. But the 36 righteous souls are hidden. Not rebbies, but water drawers. My old rabbi came into my work today, but he doesn't recognize me anymore. 
I wonder if he watches true crime documentaries. Wonder if he thinks every soul is holiest holy. My guess is no. Who made the world? God made the world. The world is holy because it is from God. The world is holy because it is from God. A simple answer, and yet, indicates offstage, not so simple. Here's the thing about true crime docs. I really like them. My roommate and I just watched one about murdered college kids. The other thing about true crime docs, lots of water drawers that he came in the backgrounds. Looking again in the pharmacy pickup window line, Strung out junkie agitating for pain pills, Zadik. Overworked soccer mom agitating for pain pills, Zadik. Blind, ancient, arthritic agitating for higher strength muscle relaxing agents, Zadik. They say when someone dies young, younger than they should, if they have an evil spirit, pause this bit, their soul might creep into the body of a beast of the ground and be trapped there. I sit on the riverbank and listen to the kingfishers calling. They're chattering like praying, furtive and urgent. Kingfisher, are you waiting for a holy soul to save you? Kingfisher, is someone trapped in there? I am watching the news. There's a beached whale on screen. Do you think it looks like an orthodox synagogue in there? Do you think if I keep watching, prophets might crawl out onto the shore? Do you think Jonah righteous? Do you think the whale that held him three days is righteous? Do you think the plant that withered over him is righteous? But look at the water drawers in the background. Do you think I am righteous? Do you think you are righteous? Have you been looking in the grocery store, the stars, at the bank, in the pharmacy queue? Indicates offstage a simple answer, and yet... I saw the prophet Elijah at Walmart yesterday. I wanted to ask him about holiest holy spirits and the 36 righteous men. When I asked him about Jonah's righteous whale, he croaked like a kingfisher. I have a lot of climate anxiety. I think about climate change at least four or five times a day, every day, often in spiraling thought patterns. I experience what is sometimes referred to as climate grief. It is hard for me on my worst weeks to think about anything other than the end of the world. My relationship to natural spaces has evolved a lot over my life. As a child, I had a lot of sensory dislikes, sometimes overpowering ones. I refused to finger paint or touch bugs or listen to people chew in any context at all. My mother always joked that I was a bird baby, very wide-eyed, very quiet, but I didn't really like the outdoors. There was too much out there. In high school, I met Adam, who actually does field work with birds. Birds are, in fact, the majority of his thoughts— he works in conservation. We share a kind of climate grief. We are each other's support group. Adam is an intensely, I'm going to say competitive birder, by which I mean he is deeply dedicated to the craft. He gets rare bird alerts every hour and routinely drives four, five hours to find rare species. Back in the day, he used to bring me along with him, which I hated, because there was nothing in the entire world that could pull his focus away from a bird. 
I would try to have a conversation with him, and he would shush me and say, Okay, but do you see that thrush? He has this kind of single-mindedness that I now recognize as a great love. In late May of last year, I had this week where I couldn't talk to anyone except him. I didn't know how to have a conversation that wasn't about the absolute horror of human destruction, about how, like, six people are in control of the fate of the species and they're more concerned about money, a thing we all just agree to believe in, rather than climate change, which is happening whether we believe in it or not. I get into this headspace sometimes where I start to sound like an apocalypse preacher. I just can't stop talking about or thinking about floods and fires and the loss of so much biodiversity and the impoverished people who will die first because I don't think we're going to turn this car around in time. That's a phrase that pops up a lot in climate discussions that I don't think anybody has a clear handle on. In time to reverse what we've already done? In time to prevent further loss? Or in time to avoid the destruction of humanity as a whole? Well, in some areas, we are already past the point of no return. Take, for instance, the Kasha Crossbell. Kasha crossbills are a rare bird only found within a very small area in southern Idaho, about 27 square miles in the South Hills and Albion Mountains near Twin Falls. The habitat Kasha crossbills call home is a sky island environment, an isolated mountain system in the midst of extremely different lowland areas. Kashas surrounded by desert do not migrate in search of food like their red crossbill relatives. Instead, they live off the seeds of the variety of lodgepole pine found only in the South Hills. Thanks in large part to cycles of extreme heat and drought caused by climate change, this area is at extreme risk of forest fire. In 2020, almost a third of their range burned. More habitat burned last year. More habitat will burn next year and the next year, and the next year, and you want to know the worst part? It's not just that they need this specific variety of lodgepole pine, it's that these pines don't mature enough to produce the seeds they eat until they're at least 30 years old, so when one section of habitat burns, it takes 30 years for new growth trees to become viable habitat again. By 2051, Kasha Crossbill Range could easily be entirely gone, the rate at which humanity is making a transition to sustainability ensures that, barring divine intervention, we will continue to do great damage for many years to come. A lot of other species are going to go extinct. But I don't think we're going to wipe ourselves out. What I think is we're going to keep driving full tilt towards a brick wall, and then I think we're going to fishtail at the last possible second, scrape along the wall, and kill a more than none number of the very human passengers, along with countless varieties of flora and fauna. We will grow green as a planet eventually, but I don't think we're going to do it in time. So, now I go on my little walks every day. I go hiking, and I bird. I keep a journal of small delights that surround me. Thai barbecue sauce, napping mallards, very finely chopped vegetables, a voicemail from someone who loves me, the sound of the water wheel in the courtyard outside my work. It's hard for me to get out of my head, so these days I try to get into my body and prioritizing my health, but I don't know how to stop grieving. All a body can do, I think, is learn to sit in the ugly feelings. All a body can do is know we are in a state of emergency, 
yes, but a paramedic who hasn't slept in three days isn't going to save anybody's life. Thank you for joining us today. We'll be back next Monday. Tune in.